Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Um, so excited about continuing our Punched in the Faith series. I'm really enjoying this, and we're about halfway through, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the messages uh, throughout the rest of this month. I want to let you know a couple of things. Um, the uh, second service, we're doing a baby dedication, um, and so we just have more time. Second service, that's why we do it again. But I want to let you know we're going to be dedicating three or four babies this morning. It's going to be awesome. Also, just wanted to highlight for you, uh, this next weekend's a busy weekend. If you don't have anything going on, you do now. Because Friday night's Friday night fire, our extended worship. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God always moves. It's super good. Saturday morning is the opportunity to do... um, uh, to, to work with Project Backyard, and then that night for the ladies is game night. And so I encourage you, come on, get involved. Get involved and, and, uh, and learn to be a part of the church family. Amen? Um, before I get to the message, we've been taking this month as well, talking about our impact initiative. This is, the impact initiative is um, uh, what we have uh, called our plans to make room for more. We are uh, attempting to build a worship center uh, that can fit everyone that calls VFC home, repurpose existing space, take care of our kids, uh, and, and some other things going on like that. And so I've been showing you some pictures and, and all that. And, and so I wanted to show you, now for some of you, this is going to be, let me kind of talk you through this. This is the floor plan of the lower level of the new building. So you can see right there, obviously the sanctuary, there's a nice, nice stage that's seating for, uh, just over 600 people. Right now, 633 people, I think, is the max we can jam in there. Um, now, if you see, there, there's four sections, and then there's the front part closer to the stage and the back part. The back part that's further from the stage is actually stadium seating. And so the idea here is that, um, um, you know, the further away from the stage you are, we want you to feel like you're close still, and so you go up higher with each row. Um, and you'll see also as you come in that kind of circular area in the very front, that's, that's the lobby to the right is stairs leading up to the second floor to the left. As you walk in, uh, is a seating area, a coffee shop, big gathering area. You guys know it's kind of cramped out there in our foyer right now, right? In between services and everything. There's actually further on to the left is a classroom where we could do our discover VFC classes and some school mystery classes. Um, also to the right are all the restrooms. How many of you know that we could use a few more restrooms around here, right? Yeah, yeah. We got the one holers in the front uh, and then we've got some in the back as well that are kind of awkward to get to. And so this, that problem would be fully solved. Um, we also have a cry room that's off of this. It's not accessible from the sanctuary, but it's, it's close. It's, that's on the left side towards the back. We also have a prayer room, what they call a green room for, for uh, guests 
guest speakers or the praise team before the service to pray, get ready, seek the Lord, and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're really excited about this. Um, we're still working on, on the second floor. The second floor will most likely be done in another phase. So what we'll do is we'll build this so we can add a second floor without causing a lot of problems to the existing facility. But we wouldn't finish the second floor until those funds came in. So pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so we're really excited. Look, this is this is not for me. This is for you guys, right? I mean, this is this is fulfilling uh, your prayers and your desires and your wishes that you've told us. And so, we our, our goal right now is to be completely debt free. We have a little bit of debt. It's a little bit under one hundred fifty thousand um, dollars that we still owe on our current stuff. We're so close. If if we can get rid of this debt, we're going to go ahead and begin the process of breaking ground and doing everything that we need to do to build this. Building. And so we're really excited. So what we're asking this month, please pray about what you could do. You know, what gets this sort of thing done is not a few people doing a lot. It's everyone doing something. And you may say, hey, you know, I don't really have a whole lot extra, Jamie. Believe me, we don't either. But, you know, the, the key is just doing something. And, and there's also, and I'm not going to preach to you on this right now, there's also something, there's a spiritual reward, and, and there's a sense of unity when everyone gets involved, even if it's just a little bit. So if you want to give specifically to this, um, there are envelopes in the back of your chairs that say impact. If you give online, you can use the, there's a little drop-down area where it says what you're giving for. You can designate impact. Um, so whatever it takes. But look, pray about this. If uh, We really believe that we want this paid off by the end of this month. We're just sticking our faith out there and saying, okay, Lord, you make this happen. Okay? And so we, we want you on board. This is not for me. It's not for the leadership. This is for all of us. Uh, So please pray about your involvement. Amen? Awesome. We've all been punched in the faith, right? What do I mean by that? I I mean when disappointment, doubt, or discouragement affect you so much, it shakes your faith in God. You ever just felt gut punched? You're just like, oh my gosh. God, what are you doing up there? If I were in charge, I would do so much better. Yeah, we think that, don't we? So we've been talking about being punched in the faith. We talked the first week about uh, disappointment, how to respond when we're disappointed. When we're disappointed, it tells us something important. It tells us that our faith is tied to a result, not a relationship. It means that we've gotten off base, that, that we've, we've, our belief is, is based not on who he is, but what we feel that he does. And, and we, our faith is in a person, it's in Jesus. Um, and so I encourage you, if you missed that, get the message. Last week, Pastor Tim shared about getting a faith lift. And um, by the way, I love all the faith puns. Um, by the way, Wednesday, y'all need to go to faith time and do an about faith. We've been, I know, it gets worse. We've been, at the, around the office, we've been talking about all the different uh, puns we can use uh, with the word faith. But uh, Tim shared about getting a faith lift, and he, and he shared. I mean, I was just so encouraged hearing the stories that he told, right? And so I, I encourage you, if you've missed either one of those, all of our sermons are available uh, on CD in the foyer, on our podcast, on our app, on our website, on Facebook Live as well. This morning, we're going to talk about doubt. About doubt. Ooh, no one likes to talk about this. As a matter of fact, People would ask, hey, you know, what are you, what are you sharing on this Sunday? I'm like, well, I'm talking about doubt. They're like, good luck. <laughs> no one likes to talk about this. 
It's like, you know, we're like, I don't have doubt. What do you mean? Doubt. <laughs> no, not me. Look, here's the deal. At some point, everyone struggles with some sort of doubt. As a matter of fact, let me just kind of define doubt for you so we're all on the same page. Doubt is uncertainty rooted in fear, pain, or disappointment. Uncertainty rooted in fear, pain, or disappointment. It's when you are no longer sure. And what I want to show you is that it's because of one of these three reasons usually. You're no longer sure about your relationship with the Lord. You're no longer sure for some people even if he exists. You're no longer sure if he's good like scripture says he is. And so you're struggling with that uncertainty. You're struggling with that doubt. Doubt is not a lack of belief. It's a wrong belief. Think about that. Even when you doubt, you still believe something. It's just that that something is wrong. You may believe God doesn't exist. That's doubt. It's still a belief. You may think God doesn't hear me. God hates me. God has forgotten me. God doesn't heal. It's, it's not that you don't believe. It's that you believe the wrong thing. So the cure to doubt is believing the right thing. Since doubt is uncertainty rooted in fear, pain, or disappointment, it means that when we go through certain things in life, and when we are certain types of people, we'll be more susceptible to doubt. Let me give you a couple of examples, and maybe you find yourself in some of these places. Deep thinkers, intellectuals, struggle with doubt in a serious way. And it's based on fear. It's based on fear that I am afraid that I don't know everything I'm supposed to know. It's a fear that I have to know everything or I know nothing. And it's a false fear, and it leads to doubt. A deep thinker, an intellectual, you ever just... You just turn things over in your head over and over and over and over and over and over, and then you're just so confused. <laughs> you're like, I just need to go to sleep. <laughs> I, so, so if you are prone to deep thinking and obsessive thinking, and if you're prone to intellectualism, reading and gathering all the facts, those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those things at all. But just know that if you embrace that fear... Of, of, of the fact that you have to know everything, that you're afraid to not know it, you're afraid of being wrong, then you are susceptible to doubt because you're letting that fear drive you to an unfair desire to know everything. Look, believe, look, you're not going to know everything. Sorry. No matter how much you study, how smart you are, you will never know everything. At some point, you've got to choose to be okay with not knowing everything. The, the other reason that we doubt is because of pain. So people who have been wounded by the church, uh, there's a scripture, and we'll get into it later as I continue, but, but uh, a, a man brings his son to be healed, and the disciples can't heal him. And he's struggling. How many times have we gone to the church, the people of God, and they couldn't do God's work. 
They, they, in some cases, they actually did the opposite. They hurt us. They, they spoke out against us. They did the opposite of what they were supposed to do. It's pain. It's a pain-based doubt. When, when you begin to doubt because you had a bad experience with church. Again, fear, pain, or disappointment. We talked about disappointment. But people who have been through trauma, people who have been through very difficult things in life, death of a loved one, death of someone close, a, a, a sickness that, that's just so pervasive it changes your, your whole daily routine. This is disappointment. And we ask ourselves, why did, we let, why did God let this happen? You begin to ask yourself, man, did, did I even, does God even heal anymore? I, I remember I was talking about, uh, Tiff and I were talking about this. We, we were really early in our marriage. We still lived in Birmingham, so it was the first year or two of our marriage. And we were believing God for something. I don't even remember what e- anymore. We couldn't remember. We're laying in bed and we're talking and we're just really disappointed. We're disappointed in God. I mean, we had this belief for healing. We had this belief for, for God being good. And we had prayed and prayed and prayed for something. And it didn't happen. And we were just, we were just kind of done with praying for it. We were just, at this point, we were like, Lord, we kind of feel like you should have done this. And we're a little miffed at you right now. Right? Y'all are like, I've never done that. Yes, you have. Okay, so, so we're sitting there. We're laying in bed. And I think it was me. I said, well... We could just continue to love God and serve God and just forget the whole healing thing. Just don't worry about it. Just don't pray for healing. Just don't. I mean, I remember we had this conversation and that, that my words hung out in the air. <laughs> and we looked at each other. We were like, we can't do that. We can't do that. We're not going to let our disappointment lead to doubt. We're going to continue to pray. And even if we never see the resolution that we want to see to this particular issue, I don't even remember what it was anymore. That means it either A, didn't matter, or B, was resolved. But it certainly wasn't worth my faith. And so whether you identify with the fear aspect, the pain aspect, or the disappointment aspect of doubt, we need to recognize that this doubt is uncertainty, and it's not because of a lack of belief. It's because of a wrong belief. Now, I think this is a really good question. How does God feel about our doubt? Because, see, this is one of those things. You know, a, lot, a lot of Christians, they learn to do the happy dance, and <laughs> everything's great, Lord, I believe everything. Hey. And inside, you're like dying. And, and, and there are scriptures, and there's, there's one in particular in James 1 where it says, um, if you ask, let him not doubt, for he's like a wave being tossed to and fro. And so we've assigned this morality to doubt, like, well, if you doubt, then you're a bad person. I, I want to prove to you that that's not necessarily the case. And I want to show you in scripture. John chapter 20. God isn't really concerned about the doubt of Thomas as we read about this, John chapter 20, 19 through 29. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus had just been crucified. It's right after. The, and, and they obviously thought, hey, they killed him. They're coming after us next. Right? So they locked the doors. They're meeting behind locked doors. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Okay, that's hilarious to me. If I could have one spiritual gift, I'm pretty sure I'd want that one. 
I'd love to all of a sudden, you know, y'all are like in your, in your den watching TV and boom, I'm there. I'm like, Hey, peace. (laughs) Yes, Lord, please. That'd be so much fun. He just shows up. (laughs) And why did he say peace? Because they were afraid because someone just showed up. Anyway, okay, sorry, that's funny to me. All right, I'm going to keep going, though. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands, and in his side they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is the first time anyone got saved. That was it right there, you just read it. The resurrected Christ breathes the Holy Spirit. Spirit means breath or wind. He breathes on them, and they're saved. Pretty cool. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus is maybe in your, in your Bible. It means twin. Was not with the others when Jesus came. He told them, verse 25, Oh, they told him, verse 25, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. All right, that's, that's kind of gross. I mean, like, he's like, I want to see the wounds. I want to put my finger in it. Like, what's the payoff for that? Like, you'd think seeing it would be enough. That's all. It's like, hey, did you hear Johnny got shot? I don't believe it. I need to see that bullet hole. And I need to see that's weird. (laughs) So this is what Thomas was saying. He was like, hey, hey, man, I need to see those wounds. I need to see that. And we we know Thomas. We call him, what do we call Thomas? Thomas? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be known throughout all history as doubting Jamie? That's, that's bad, man. We call him Doubting Thomas. I think we should, don't ever do that to him. Don't call Thomas Doubting Thomas. You know, uh, the history says that Thomas actually went down to southern India and preached the gospel and saw all kinds of amazing miracles happen. Um, he was not Doubting Thomas. As a matter of fact, how did Jesus respond to this? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. So funny. I love it. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's you, by the way. I I love that. Jesus could have said, hey, Thomas, look, it was your fault you weren't here eight days ago. They had a chance to inspect the wounds. They've been healing pretty well now, and I really don't want you messing with them. You're so faithless, Thomas. Why wouldn't you? No, what did he do? He goes, check it out. Jesus wasn't offended by his doubt. He, He wasn't worried about his doubt. He didn't criticize his doubt. He cured his doubt by showing him what he needed to believe. Look, don't assign morality to doubt. You're not morally inferior or deficient if you struggle with doubt. You simply are believing the wrong thing, and you need to be healed from the fear, the pain, or the disappointment that's causing the doubt. 
If someone comes to you and they say, hey, I'm struggling with faith, don't just say, hey, you just need to have more faith. Now, that's like someone struggling with doubt. Telling you need to have more faith to someone struggling with doubt is like saying you need to have less hurt to someone who broke their arm. Heal them. Take care of them. Care for them. Don't just, well, hey, just have more faith. Look, what did Jesus do? He solved the doubt. He cured the doubt. He didn't criticize the doubt. And we need to have the same perspective. So how do we disarm doubt? And I chose the word disarm here on purpose. See, at first I had defeating doubt. But I want you to understand that there might be seasons in life where you don't fully defeat doubt, but what you can do is you can disarm it from affecting you. Do you see the difference? I want you to learn to disarm doubt. I'm going to give you four quick ways. Here's the first one. Understand that faith is more than mental certainty. There's been some really, I'm just going to be honest with you, there's been some really bad teaching on what faith is. People have gotten, they've tried to drill down to this really kind of like weird super revelation of what faith is. Let me give you a definition for faith that, that I really like, okay? Faith is trust evidenced by action and powered by relationship. Faith is trust, belief. Evidenced by action, empowered by relationship. James 2, 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. See, faith is not mental certainty. It's not convincing yourself of a fact. I believe this so much. Now I have faith. I only believed it a little bit. It didn't have faith, but now I believe it so much I have faith. You, you know, it, it's, not the, it's not the fullness of mental certainty that makes you full of faith. It's the fullness of your relationship and your action that makes you full of faith. Let, let me give you an example. Most of you have a key, probably in your pocket or somewhere near you, that opens the door to your house. You have faith in that key. Why? Because, first of all, there's a relationship that you have with that key. Every time you've put that key in the keyhole to your door at your house and you've turned it, it's worked. Most of the time. If not, you've called a locksmith. And there's action. So there's a relationship and a history with that key. And there's action. There's activity with that key. Every time you stick the key in the lock and you turn, you're, you've exercised your faith. You didn't, like, you didn't stand at the front door, look at the key, and say, okay, I command this key. To work in this lock. I really believe it's going to work. I really believe it's going to work. No. You just stick the key in. You turn the lock. You open the door. That's faith. It wasn't about the degree to which you believed the key would work. It was about whether or not you trusted the key to use it. Same with marriage. Tiffany and I have been married over 20 years now. I'm not married to her because I really think I am. Because I'm fully convinced that I am. I'm married to her because there's a relationship that we've built over, over 22 years, including dating and stuff. And, and, and through activity, we signed the paper, we stood in front of a bunch of people, and we moved in together. We're married because of those things, not because I really, really believe it. I feel like y'all don't get me. Okay, let me give you an example. Two Christians... One, and you ask him, and you say, hey, 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And he goes, yeah, 100%. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus is the Son of God. Cool, cool. But then you follow that guy around, and he's just like everyone else in the world. Watches the same things, talks the same way, does the same things. There's no change in his life whatsoever, but he is 100% convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. Person number two, you ask her, you say, hey, is Jesus the Son of God? And she says, I struggle with that sometimes. I'd say I'm 51% sure. I'm just sure enough to, to believe him. And you follow, you follow her around, and she loves her neighbor as herself. She gives to the homeless. She takes care. She prays. She talks. Even though sometimes she struggles with her certainty, she's living a life towards Jesus. Which one of them has more faith? Second one. But she struggled in her certainty. It's because faith is not mental certainty. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, mental certainty is not much of a virtue. Think about the people that you know that are sure of themselves about everything they believe. They're kind of jerks. Why would we elevate that to the point of our faith? No, the key to faith is you've got to be super sure. What? You don't see that. That's not what faith is. It's simply trust, evidenced by action, empowered by relationship. See, if you will get that, then you'll, you'll take the pressure off of yourself to always believe everything the most that you possibly can all the time. And you put it on, look, I'm going to trust by doing. I'm just going to trust that God's who he says he is. Jesus is his son, and I'm believing him all the way into heaven. So we've got to understand faith is more than mental certainty. Here's the other thing, is to disarm doubt, we've got to value spiritual experience. Now, now, look, here's the deal. I love the facts. I love the facts about Jesus. I love knowing information about Jesus. But knowing Tiffany's favorite food or favorite color, all that kind of stuff doesn't make me married to her. It's the relationship. It's the encounter. It's the experience that we've had through these years that, 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 keeps, the, that keeps the relationship going. We've got to value spiritual Experience Romans 8.16 says the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. See, if you're, if, you're struggling, then if you're struggling with whether or not you're a child of God, if you're struggling with doubt in that area, you, need to ha- you don't need to learn more facts. You need to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit testifies that you're a son or daughter of God. See, someone can argue with you about whether or not the Garden of Eden was real. Someone can argue with you about whether God created the earth. Someone can argue with you about whether or not the Bible is true. Someone can argue with you about all that kind of stuff, and you can think, oh, man, they can convince you of something that's wrong, but they can never take an experience from you. They can never take an encounter from you. Our oldest son, Ethan's in college, and, and we, we talk very openly about faith, and we're not afraid to question things when we talk with our children. We let them work through things, and um, we don't expose them to a bunch of junk, but, you know, we ask them hard questions and let them work through it. And, you know, I was asking Ethan, I was like, so, you know, how's your faith? This is when everyone loses their faith, right? Go off to college. They, they, he went through a, a class with a professor that really challenged his faith. And I was like, so how, you know, how was it? How you doing? You still believe in He was like, oh, yeah. He's like, I, you know, some of the things, I, some of the details, they made some good points. He goes, but... uh I've seen too much. I've seen God heal people right in front of me. 
I've experienced the presence of God when I was going through a really difficult time. No one can talk him out of that. Look, if you're a parent of young children, let me give you some advice. Put your children in experiences and circumstances and situations where they encounter the presence of God. Teach them the information, yes. But honestly, that's not what sticks. What sticks is the experience. I remember as a kid going to revival meetings um, at night after being at Universal Studios during the day. Our parents would take us on vacation and say, okay, but now we're going to spend time with the Lord. And I remember seeing things, experiencing things, feeling things that have never left me. You need a spiritual experience. No one can take that from you. No one can take that from you. They can try to argue you out of your spiritual beliefs, but no one can take your spiritual encounters. Get in the presence of God. He testifies that you're a son or daughter. Amen? Here's the third one. I'm not going to spend much time on this one. Recognize that faith is reasonable. Our faith is reasonable. Acts 1.3, it records after his suffering, that's Jesus' death and resurrection, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I'm not going to talk about this today because this is what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, I'm going to give to you an objective viewpoint about why it's very reasonable. It's not unreasonable in the face of science and technology. It's very reasonable to believe in God. And it's incredibly reasonable to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and your Savior. There are objective truths, reasonable truths that you can look at, discover, and and say, well, I may not be 100% sure about this, but man, it's better than any other option out there. That's what we're going to do next week. If you've got a friend or family member that struggles in their faith about whether God exists or whether Christianity is true out of all the different religions on the face of the planet, come next Sunday. That's what we're going to talk about, okay? But our faith is a reasonable faith. Here's the fourth one. How we disarm doubt is we eliminate self-imposed, unnecessary obstacles to our faith. We eliminate self-imposed, unnecessary obstacles to faith and to belief. What do I mean? Let's go back to the story of Thomas. Remember what Thomas said? He said, we've seen, the disciples said, we've seen the Lord. He said, I won't believe it unless. For him, it was seeing the, the wounds in Jesus' body. What about you? I won't believe it unless I fully understand how God created the heavens and the earth. I won't believe it unless God restores my marriage. I won't believe it unless he heals my loved one. I won't believe it unless I understand why God does what he does. I won't believe it unless. See, Thomas had created an obstacle for himself. He he had created a hoop that Jesus needed to jump through in order for him to believe. Now, here's what's so good is that Jesus jumped through that hoop because he's so full of love and mercy and grace. But, look, you don't need to set up these obstacles well, if, if, if God will do this, then I'll believe. I don't think you want to put yourself in a position where you're telling God how to demonstrate himself to you. He is still God. He is still God. So look, ask the Holy Spirit, are there any self-imposed, unnecessary obstacles, hoops that I've created? Well, if God does this, then I'll believe. Look. He has given you so many reasons to believe. He sent his son for you. He died for you. So how do we reconcile our faith and doubt? 
How do we reconcile our belief and at the same time recognize that we go through these seasons of pain and disappointment and fear where we tend to want to doubt? I want to close by summarizing a story. You can read the whole thing. It's Mark chapter 9, 19 through 29. It's, I mentioned it earlier. The man, he's got a, a son that has a, a, a demon in him, and it's causing him uh, to go into epileptic seizures. He's falling into water. He's falling into fire. He's, I mean, it's, this demon is trying to kill the kid. Jesus is up with the closest three disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration. They're having this amazing supernatural experience. The rest of the disciples are down there. This man brings his son to the disciples. He says, hey, I need you to cast this demon out of my son. They can't do it. They try, and it's not working. And the Pharisees are there to make things worse, and they're saying, see, this Jesus is a fake. He's a fraud. Jesus comes back to the scene. There's this huge commotion, this crowd. The Pharisees are arguing with the disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are probably in real serious defensive mode because they couldn't cast this demon out. The father is upset because he had all his hopes set on the fact that his son was going to get healed today. Jesus comes in and he says, what's the deal? The man goes, hey, I, I took my son to, the, to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. Jesus is like, faithless generation. And, and, and then the guy, uh, the guy says, hey, if you can heal him, do it. And Jesus goes, what do you mean if I can? He goes, nothing's impossible for the person that believes. In other words, he's like, hey, it's not about my willingness. My willingness is there. And the man responds. He says something that's so powerful to me. He says this. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That seems so contradictory, doesn't it? Because see, in our mind of mental certainty where we have to fully convince ourselves of something and really believe it for it to be true, that makes no sense. You either believe or you don't believe. Which one is it? Well, this guy's like, look, I believe and don't believe. (laughs) And I think that's where most of us live. Come on, if you're being honest, there, there are times when you believe and you just feel like just this amazing, like, awesome person who believes everything God says, then other days you're like, I'm struggling. And like this man, he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What does Jesus do? This man just admitted his unbelief to Jesus. Did Jesus say, well, I can't do anything. You know, you just just admitted to me in front of all these people, you don't believe me, I, I can't do it. No, what did he do? He commanded the spirit with authority. He said, you come out in Jesus' name. The kid fell down like he was dead, and he picks him up, and he's totally healed. What can we learn from that? Look, let me show you. This is how we live. This is how we reconcile faith and doubt. You do what this man did. You profess your faith, you confess your doubt, and you possess your promise. Profess your faith. Lord, I believe. I'm building my faith. I'm doing what I know to do to draw close to you. Um, My faith is powered by relationship and evidenced by action. I'm professing my faith, but Lord, help my unbelief. I confess to you, I don't always believe the right thing. I don't always believe like I should. And then in spite of that, just like this father did, you still possess your promise because God is that good. 
And he's still with you. And he's still walking with you through this life. My question for you this morning is, are you disarming your doubt? Are you pushing it in a corner? It's not there. Okay. That works really well until something bad happens. What if you decide to give faith another try? What if you tried, come on, just one more time. And you said, Lord, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to evidence my faith through action. And I'm going to empower my faith through drawing near to a relationship with you. Are you disarming your doubt? Let's stand for prayer. Y'all know I love for us to to respond to what the Lord's doing. Come on, get really honest with him. Close your eyes. Sense his presence. Just recognize that he's here right now. Recognize he's in this room. He hears what you're about to think towards him. He knows. Ask him this question. Say, Holy Spirit, am I disarming my doubt? Come on, between you and him, just ask him. Are you letting it, are you letting it talk you out of who you are in Christ? Are you letting the pain, the disappointment, the hurt, are you letting it separate you from the Lord? Or are you like the Father who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Don't let being punched in the faith lead you to doubt. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you will, let me, let me supply these words and let us pray that the Lord will help us disarm our doubt. Just repeat this after me. Say, Father, I declare my faith in you. I'm trusting you for salvation. Healing and deliverance in every area of my life. Lord, I also confess my doubt. I don't always believe like I could. But I choose to trust you through the uncertainty. And I choose to possess the promises that you have for me. Help me put action to the faith I have. Teach me to value my experiences and my encounters with you. Help me identify any self-imposed and unnecessary obstacles to faith I might have. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm trusting in you Because I know you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Val, will you close us? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.